Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's now Friday, November 21st, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try it, go to Squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Okay, we're now a, a full week into the college basketball season. Florida has already been upset. Oklahoma has already been upset. Kentucky beat the mess out of Kansas in the Champions Classic. I was there for that. So was uh, basically somebody from every national media outlet, including the Bleacher Report's Jason King. I mentioned him uh, specifically because he's here with me for this episode of the podcast. We're both in New York right now, but I think on opposite ends of Manhattan. Jason, well, where where are you in Manhattan? I'm actually in the uh, Soho area. Uh, I'm going to be going over to the games tonight uh, at the COVID versus cancer. I'm going to try my hand at TV, Gary, and, and, and see how I do. It's not something I'm too really experienced in, but I'm looking forward to trying it. It is weird how all of us, like once upon a time, we're just newspaper guys, right? We're just beat writers and, mm-hmm. and happy to do it, and now we all sit in makeup chairs half the day. I know. I, I don't feel right. I feel out of place. We were just having this big production meeting, and they're using all this lingo and jargon and i'm just kind of sitting there thinking just tell me what i need to, what i need to talk about duke and i'll do it but other than that i don't know what, what y'all are talking about here well, I, I trust you'll be fine well listen i mentioned um, that we were both in indianapolis earlier this week for the champions classic duke beat michigan state and then kentucky pounded kansas let's start there what did you make of uh uk 72-40 win over kansas well, I mean, it was one of the more dominant performances by a team that I can remember. And obviously, even more impressive is that it came against a, a pretty good Kansas team. Now, Kansas certainly didn't look good the other night, but I still think that's a solid team or that, that it will be eventually, you know, a top-10 caliber team. I, I do think things kind of snowballed on Kansas there after a while. I don't think they're 32 points worse than Kentucky, but there's, there was clearly a, uh, a different level between those two teams. And, uh, you know, I, the, the buzz and the – and the uh, the talk after the game was, uh, you know, can Kentucky run the table? And it's funny because I remember a year ago at that very same uh, event, the Champions Classic, you know, there was Kentucky players kind of crying a little bit in the locker room after the game because they had entered the season thinking they could go undefeated. There was all that talk about it. And Michigan State beat them in the third game of the year, and they they realized their dream was dead. And John Calipari said, you know, We'll never make that mistake again. We'll never go into a season talking about that or thinking about that yet. One year later, here they are in the same situation with the same kind of buzz uh, circulating around that team. It's a different team, though. I mean, it's, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think this team's better equipped to do such a thing, although it's still statistically unlikely. But um, like I wrote from Indianapolis, I, I wouldn't bet on it happening, but I, I you know, I, I won't rule it out either. They certainly got the pieces to, you know, when you combine the advantageous schedule with with really only one tough, true road game in the non-conference part. That's at Louisville. And then the SEC being down, probably with exception of Florida and Arkansas and maybe LSU, um, it, it's, it's shaped up for them to do something. But I still think if there's a team that's going to enter selection Sunday undefeated, and I don't think there will be one, but if there is one, it's probably Wichita State more than anybody else. Where, where do, yeah, I mean, do you give the Shockers a chance to do that again? I think so. I mean, they've got some a, a few tough games, a little bit tougher than last year. Right. And 
you know, it's nice that some people were willing to play him. You know, I think they caught way too much grief last year, <laughs> you know, when they tried to play people, and then a lot of people didn't really want to do it. And they and they did play some good teams last year. They, they played Tennessee, who ended up being a Sweet 16 team. And uh, I don't think this Wichita State team is going to be quite as good. Right. Uh, but there's, I think there's still a top 10, top 15 team with a, with a chance to do it again. Absolutely. I mean, and, uh, you know, I think the Utah game, if I'm not mistaken, they played yes. them uh, out in Utah. That'll probably be one of their tougher tests. But, uh, I think both them and Kentucky are teams we're going to have to watch doing it. And, and like you said, I wouldn't bet on it, but uh, the playing in the SEC just helps. And, uh, you know, they have to play, play a really good North Carolina team, but that's at home, uh, you know. So uh, I, I, who do they play up in Chicago? Yeah, I would say they play UCLA. UCLA Chicago, yeah, team is that? yeah, they got UCLA in Chicago. They've got yeah. North Carolina and Texas at Rupp. They've got at Louisville, and that's basically the non-league schedule. Then you're going to get one game at Florida, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, listen, they'll probably keep it. You know, I, I think it was very easy after what we saw Tuesday night for people to forget they were down 38 33 in the first 20 minutes against Buffalo. So it's not like they're invincible, right. but they did look at that night. You make a good point about Wichita State. It's almost like a conspiracy. Like all these power conference schools refuse to play Wichita State in, in true home and homes. And then they look up in February, and when Wichita State's ranked in the top five, the same people that refuse to play them say, well, they haven't played anybody. Well, the only reason they haven't played anybody is because you won't play them. And so I I think if you're a power conference school, uh, a fan of a power conference school or a a, a coach at a power conference school who has rejected the opportunity to play Wichita State, then then you you lose the right to to question their schedule because you're the one – at least on some level, uh, contributing to their lack of, of a tough uh, schedule. Listen, you're a former Kansas beat writer. You, um, you know, Bill's never taken a beating like that, um, like he took the other night. And I, I think you're right. It just snowballed a little bit. Uh, but should be people be – well, I'll just ask it this way. Should people be concerned about Kansas, or was that just one of those nights? Well, I just think it kind of depends on what your expectations of the team were. And, you, you know, as, as a guy that's covered, you know, some of these big-time programs, sometimes fans are so unrealistic. And when you don't go – uh, you know, thirty and five, or when you don't win your league with a you know seventeen and one record, they consider it a failure. I mean, <laughs> I, I I thought this team and, and last year's team too would would struggle and go through some um, some road bumps just because of the the youth and so many new faces. And I, I'm not concerned about them. Uh, you know, I think they're going to have a hard t- harder time winning the Big Twelve than usual. I don't know if they're going to win the national championship, but I, they're going to be very good. And the reason I say that is because they've got a a Hall of Fame caliber coach on the sideline who's won ten straight conference titles, been the two Final Fours. I mean, he, you know, they, they've had they've taken bumps before, none like this. But uh, you know, he, he he knows how to handle it and and use it as a rallying point. I think this one, you almost I don't want to say you laugh it off, but you almost just kind of think that was so bad that you know I don't even know what you can learn from it. You know, you just almost forget that it happened and and, and move on and coach your team like you like you were going to coach it either way. But uh, maybe maybe it'll be good for him. You know, who knows? But I, I certainly don't think that this team is in all of a sudden you know not going to be a top 25 team not going to be in contention for the big 12 title they're certainly different they don't have that rim protector like they've had in the past with jeff Withy and and cole aldrich and and joel mb that are a little smaller down low and you know their point guard situation is is not ideal but still a lot of talent on that squad to, to give up on them this early i know it didn't look like it the other night but they do still have two projected lottery picks five probably future pros and like you said uh Hall of Fame caliber coach. So if, um, yeah, I'm not worried about Kansas. Are they really the fifth best team in the country? Like they were, like they're ranked right now. Yeah. I don't know, but but they're still one of the 15 best. If Bill Self ends up having a a down year, 
It'll be the first one in a long, long time. So I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on that at all. Once, right. And the thing yeah. is, it's like it's just hard to define what a down year is. I know. I mean, if it, you know, I mean, it's if you, if you don't win the title in the Big Twelve, but you finish second and you get a three seed, is that a down year? I mean, most people would say yes. I I, I think that's unfair and ridiculous. I mean, especially you know when you consider what they've done. I mean, everyone everyone has a down year that may actually happen in a long time. So maybe this will, will be the time, but. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he coaches in this group. Another storyline that's pretty fascinating there is, um, again, it's very, very early, but Kelly Oubre has played limited minutes through two games. He was in foul trouble Tuesday against Kentucky, so you could explain that one away. But he only played four minutes in the in the opener. I think nine different Jayhawks played more minutes than Kelly in the opener, and this is a guy that on some mock drafts is a is a you know top five, top ten uh, pick. Well, does that say more about Kelly or more about how Bill typically transitions players from high school to college? With um, you know Andrew Wiggins being an obvious exception. Well, I, I think that that's just this is just Bill trying to send a message right. um, more than anything, and he can afford to with Kelly Oubre because he plays a position where Kansas is particularly deep. Uh, you know, uh, with with uh, you know Brandon Green and Spee, the, the 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 transfer from Ukraine, they've got a lot of guys that, that you know kind of play that that three spot, and um, and and then Selden plays there as well at times. So uh, you know, with Bill Self, I mean, you have to you have to know how to defend, and you have to love playing defense. You have to relish it and embrace it, and you have to to know the playbook. And uh, I think both with Kelly and Cliff Alexander, as, as is the case with a lot of freshmen. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't click right off the bat. It's not a question of talent or ability. It's a question of doing the things that they want you to do and, you know, being a team player. And, you know, at schools like Kansas and Kentucky, they got enough guys where if you don't do that, you know, you can sit down until you decide to. Uh, although with Cliff Alexander, I think he's going through some of the same problems. But unlike the three spot, they don't have the depth down in the paint, and they're going to have to, to rely on him more early, even if he, even if he's not, you know, quite comfortable with some of the, the sets and the plays and, and schemes and stuff like that. But yeah, I really think that that they're not worried about Kelly as far as being able to contribute. They just want to make sure his mind is right before they put him out there for extended minutes. Remember, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with the Squarespace Seven interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, fifteen new templates and cover pages and Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day seven days a week everything starts at just eight dollars a month and that includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website so your content will always look great on every device every time so start a free trial with no credit card required and get to building your website today. You can do that at squarespace.com. And remember, when you sign up, use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. That's Squarespace. Start here. Start anywhere. Let's pop through some news and notes presented by Squarespace real quick. You broke the story at Bleacher Report about Donnie Tindall's old Southern Miss program being investigated by the NCAA. Ultimately, how do you think this ends up for Donnie? Well, I think it's just a matter of what the NCAA can prove. You know, it's almost like being a, a reporter. I mean, you know, you know a bunch of stuff happened, and you, or you think it did, but it's not going to get in the newspaper or on the internet until you you can really, you know, back it up and and and, and prove it, whether it's through sourcing or documentation or, or whatever. So, I mean, I, I think as the NCAA goes around and interviews people, they're going to have to to find some folks that are that are going to be willing to to be honest about some of this stuff and. 
and, and not close the door in their face when they come knocking. Or, you know, maybe there's some paperwork or some things like that they can dig up that, that show some wrongdoing. But if, if, if they do prove some stuff, I, I think he's in a lot of trouble, mainly because, for one, it make him a repeat violator. Uh, basically, kind of the same stuff he was, you know, got in trouble for at Moorhead State. And if that were the case, I think it would put Tennessee in a really tough position, you know, especially after going through some NCAA stuff with Bruce Pearl and, uh, you know, and luck, you know, with Tyndall being in his first year, maybe they just decide to kind of cut the cord and, and start fresh but having to go through that all over again. So uh, it definitely seems like some, some pretty serious stuff. You know, he was allegedly involved in when it comes to you know severity of the rule that, that he may have broken. This wasn't a an illegal phone call or a, you know a fifty dollar lunch that he shouldn't have paid for for a guy out an unofficial visit. This this seems a lot bigger than that, and it's got to be troubling for Tennessee fans. It is crazy what Tennessee fans have been through. They they're riding this high under Bruce Pearl, and then that's just ripped away pretty abruptly. And then um, they end up uh, getting Conzo Martin, and it's three uh, pretty. Uh, I, I don't know, let's just say tense seasons uh, for a variety of reasons that culminate with a Sweet 16 appearance last year. But then he leaves, and then they end up hiring Donnie, who now has NCAA issues and arguably issues if the allegations are proven uh, that are more severe you know, in, in, in normal terms than, than what they had to actually fire Bruce Pearl for. Meantime, there's Conzo Martin at the Garden last night uh, getting a win over a top 25 Syracuse team now at his new job with, with California. So it's just, uh, I, I, I feel badly for the fans because there was a time where they were feeling Thompson bowling. And, you know, I, I know you've been in that place where it was, um, you know, when Bruce had it going, it was, it was as fun of a place to be for a college basketball game. And now it's just been uh, a mess ever since. I want to switch gears a little bit. Gonzaga destroyed St. Joseph's by like a million points earlier this week. Uh, I tweeted something about Gonzaga, you know, having uh, what I think Mark's most talented roster to date, one that's probably best equipped to go uh, to a Final Four. And immediately people hit me with, yeah, people say that every November and then they always lose early in the tournament. Are you a believer in Gonzaga? And how much stock do you put into the idea that, you know, I hear it all the time. Yeah, they win a bunch of games, overwhelm the West Coast Conference, but when it gets time to do it, they're not going to be able to do it. Do you buy that, or do you share the opinion with me that, hey, listen, this is something people said about Bill Self once upon a time. It's something they said about Bo Ryan once upon a time. People always say you can't do something until you actually do it, and and and, and I don't think Mark Few is any different than anybody else in that regard. Where do you fall on that discussion? Yeah. I, mean, I remember when I used to cover Kansas, they said Roy Williams will never win a national title. Right. I mean, you know, Dean Smith took forever to win it. I mean, did Norm Stewart ever even go to a Final Four? I don't know. But I, I'm definitely a believer in Gonzaga. I thought when they were a number one seed a few years ago when Wichita State beat them, that was a great team. I mean, with Kelly O'Linick and those guys, I mean, yeah. just, that's what fans don't get. Is like, and it drives me nuts, and I know it drives a lot of coaches nuts, is, you know, just because you don't win the national title doesn't mean you aren't any good. Just because you don't go to the Final Four doesn't mean you aren't any good. I mean, that's why the tournament, it's great, but sometimes it's bad, too, because you, you judge a whole season based on that. And, you know, the the, the team was 32-4 and four or whatever it was. That still makes them really good. But I think this team is, you know, is, is probably, you know, among his top two or three that he's had there. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, you've got so many guys that have been there for a while when you talk about a Pangos or – Gary Bell, and then you, you, you bring in, you know, a McDonald's All-American at Wiltshire. I think Byron Wesley was a nice addition for USC. And, you know, the only problem with Gonzaga are, are some of these small school teams like the Wichita State that play in these lesser conferences. I, I think 
it's not a question of how good they are. It's just, you know, how tested are they during the year. And, and because they aren't as tested, does that prepare them, you know, for March? And all of a sudden they shell shock a little bit when they go up against a, a stud team. But, you know, <laughs> for one, I think Mark's few always schedules really, really well in yeah. the non-conference. You know, but then all of a sudden they got to go a couple months without really playing many good teams. So maybe that maybe that's an argument, but I, I don't I don't think it means the team is not bad. I mean, it's not good at all. Oh, there was and, uh, so I, I definitely accept it. The I'd rank them like I think uh, you know if I were doing power rankings, and actually I think I did yesterday. I think I had them fourth. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. No, I I think they're that kind of good. To your point about the scheduling, one of the things Mark used to do, and I, I haven't looked this year if he did it, but he and John Calipari, when Cal was at Memphis, they would schedule like a late January, February game against each other. Right because, in the middle, yeah. yeah. because they both knew they needed one of those because they were just probably going to be overwhelming um, their their conference opponents. And so they could get each other either up in Spokane or down in Memphis. And uh, that was, that was uh, always a, a, a neat deal. And uh, you're exactly right, like, I remember talking to Andy Kennedy about this one time, and he said, man, the football guys have it figured out because half the football, Division One football teams go to a bowl, and, the, and that bowl game is celebrated. But if we, you know, and he wasn't talking about him uh, specifically, but he's like, in basketball, if you go to the NCAA tournament, which is like way better than just being in the top half of 300 and something teams, um, you, you, and you lose in the opening round, people think you had a bad year. He's like, the way this is all shaped is um, – he said the football guys are the ones that got it figured out. They celebrate mediocrity. When, and in college basketball, it's um, you know, mediocrity or even sometimes, in, in, in certainly for cases of, of big-time programs, like really good seasons are, um, are, are sort of mocked in hindsight. Like you bring up the great one with Gonzaga as a one seed a few years ago. Like people look back on that Gonzaga team and act like they underachieved or, or were terrible without realizing oh, yeah. that, yeah, like Wichita State got hot in the second half and hit a bunch of three pointers. Otherwise, Gonzaga probably ends up in the Final Four. So you know. And by the way, yeah. Wichita State was really good. <laughs> I, I know. mean, like you know, Wichita State got to the Final Four and was in within a minute or two of beating Louisville. I mean, it's not like they lost to a bad team. Right. I mean, the next year they went thirty-five and zero. Right. You know. So and, and you know, but then they lose and say, like, "Oh, they didn't deserve to be a one seed." I told you they shouldn't be with a one seed. Hell, this year Wichita State got beat by Kentucky. Oh, see, I knew they shouldn't have been a one seed. I knew they couldn't hack it against a good team. Yeah, I mean, they had a shot to win the game at the end of the game against, you know, a pretty darn good Kentucky team. So, I, again, people just overreact to one loss. I mean, don't, you know, there's, there's still a lot of good teams. I mean, do you think Connecticut was the best team in college no, basketball last listen, year? Because, no, I mean, that's, because Connecticut you know. played in the American Athletic Conference, like I saw them a lot because of where I live. They were a borderline top 25 team all year long. That's it. Just a board. Like, you could have them in. You could have them out. It really didn't matter. And then they just got hot at the right time. That's the nature of that tournament. And it's why it's so much smarter to judge a coach and his program over a five-month season as opposed to a three-week tournament. Because you start basing things on the results of 40-minute random basketball games where foul troubles or hot shooting or 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 turned ankles bad calls or yeah, injuries. Well like how about this? How about if Aaron Harrison misses a three on one end and Fred Van Vliet makes one on the other? I mean that's that's the whole game. That's the whole season right there. Suddenly John mm-hmm. Calip yeah there's no national championship game for Kentucky. Maybe Wichita State goes on to the national championship game because of one because one kid made a shot on one end and another kid missed it at the other. And it's not that simple, but it sometimes does come down to, to the very simplest of, of things. Um, we brought up Kentucky. The SEC 
is off to a tough start again. The, again, UK looks great. Florida has already lost, but I think they'll be fine. You know, they were shorthanded in that loss to Miami. Um, but I don't know who else is good outside of maybe Arkansas. Do you think Arkansas can get back to the NCAA tournament for the first time under Mike Anderson? It's remarkable. And you, to me, you and I are about the same age, I think. And the idea that, uh, you know, when we were kids or in high school, college, like Arkansas was one of the best programs in America and they have not been to a sweet 16 since 1996, which is just crazy. Can that, can that change this year? You just brought up a funny memory. I remember there was this guy in my high school that loved Todd day. He was Todd day <laughs> surfed the school all the time. And then remember when Todd day almost got in a fight in the tournament and he took like this little sissy swing at someone and missed. I remember the next day, like at school, we were all like mimicking <laughs> that swing and that punch he tried to throw around my buddy. And he was throwing bears. But anyway, I do think that, uh, I do think they could make it back. You know, they need to pick up a good win or two in the non-conference to kind of boost their resume. But I think they'll win a lot of games. You know, in the SEC and, and 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 being in a position to get there finally, and you know they got the they got the pieces to to do it. I mean, especially with Portis, who you know is probably one of the more underrated players in the country. The team has disappointed me. I, mean, I hate to oh, judge a team too much three games into the year, but you know, I, I just think S, uh, LSU has some really really good players, yeah. and they played Texas Tech the other night, and Texas Tech was not very good last year. They lost all their good players that they did have, didn't replace them with squat. I I think they could go 0 and 18 in the Big 12, and they were whipping the heck out of LSU in Baton Rouge the other night. Until LSU made this kind of dramatic run in the last five minutes, went to overtime, and came back and won that game. But I was just thinking, if you're LSU, how, do you, how are you even in that position at home with NBA players on your team? You're playing the worst team in the Big 12. My point being, I mean, I, I just hope that they can find some consistency and structure and play as a team and, and kind of look to their potential because I, that that should be an incredibly challenging team, especially this year in that week league. So we'll see how they, uh, how they end up doing. But I, I do think that, you know, them and then Arkansas are probably the two best teams in that conference outside of Kentucky and Florida. Yeah, I, I th- you know, people keep talking about, you know, Kentucky and then Florida and then who else. It may actually end up being Kentucky, Arkansas, and, and then Florida. Like, I, I'm not ruling that out, but it should be. I'm with you on LSU. They, they should be better. They should be in the tournament. If they're not, mm-hmm. that's probably – uh, a, a disappointing season for Johnny Jones because he did return to you know you know borderline NBA prospects to his I program. I think A and M will be a little. Mm-hmm. We had Jordan Mickey and averaged about thirty plus points a game last year in junior college around the point. They've got some some good players down there and should be a lot better. I think A and M. Probably not a tournament team, but they've added some nice pieces, and I don't think they'll be a complete pushover either. But, but yeah, overall, the league is not very strong. Right, let's wrap this up by going off topic a little bit. You wrote a remarkable story about a wrestling icon, Kamala, the Ugandan giant. So we were in Indianapolis the other night, and you asked me if I knew him, and I'm like, dude, do I know him? I grew up on Memphis wrestling, so I, I basically, I'm going to take credit for discovering uh, Kamala. I know Jerry Lawler does, but I'm going to actually take the credit for it. And, um, and like, now he lives maybe, you know, 10 miles from where I, I live. I did not know his story until you wrote his story. Um, but I, I gather that the feedback on this has just been um, tremendous. And, and it sort of makes it rewarding because it, you, you might genuinely, with the story, be making a difference in this man's life. But I'm curious, just, okay, you're a college basketball, right? How did you even end up in Cenotopia, Mississippi, writing about Kamala? 
Well, you know, in the off season, Gary, as you well know, that sometimes you have some downtime, and they were thinking, you know, do you have any story ideas for us? It doesn't have to be about college basketball. I grew up as a huge wrestling fan in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we had a real legendary old barn called the Sportatorium, and it was guys like Bruiser Brody, uh, the Missing Link, the Von Erich, the Fabulous Freebirds. All those guys came through there. But the one that always fascinated me most was Kamala. And this was about 1982, 83. I was eight or nine years old at the time, uh, seven or eight years old. And when he would come out of the ring, I mean, I literally would, you know, I would hide behind my dad or I would, like, all of a sudden have to go to the restroom, you know what I mean, because I was scared, you know what I mean? And uh, I was, But I was fascinated by him, you know, because he just played his – at that time, I mean, I, I, I believed it was all real at age seven or eight. And even at age 12 or 13, I kind of knew something was fishy, but I didn't want to believe it. You know, it's kind of like when you don't – you kind of know Santa Claus isn't real, but you don't want to admit you know? Sure, sure, sure. And, uh, right, so – uh, he just played his his character so well. He really looked like this mean, like bewildered guy from the jungle who all of a sudden was thrown in this arena of ten thousand people and was baffled by his surroundings and everything. So anyway, I kind of quit watching wrestling when I was in my in my mid to late teens. But I always kind of once the internet became big, I started getting on there and started looking up some of the old guys I used to cheer for. And I looked him up and and, and saw that he had kind of fallen on hard times. He had both of his legs uh, amputated. Uh, because of complications from diabetes, uh, I could tell by some of the pictures I was seeing that he was kind of living in a, you know, a, a house that wasn't very nice. And I'm thinking this guy used to headline against Hulk Hogan in Madison Square Garden and Jake the Snake and the Ultimate Warrior. He traveled the world. How, how is he in this situation? And I just thought, you know, people love the "Where are they now?" stories. And you know, if you send a, a video crew out there, which they did with me, all of a sudden you've got these shots of this guy that used to be six eight four hundred pounds now he's without any legs in a, in a wheelchair i just thought it would be really compelling and moving to people and we went out there and interviewed him and it was just a i mean it was one of the more emotional interviews i've done i mean he broke down and started crying and you know talking about his career and his situation now getting really graphic about you know losing his legs and stuff and i just thought wow this is a really powerful story so we wrote it there's a video in there with it uh but i had no idea that it would get the uh, reaction uh, that it did. You know, the, the story I've written before this that's gotten the most reaction was, you know, the story about Adrian Payne and sure. Lacey Hallsworth, the Michigan State player who befriended the little girl with cancer who ended up passing away. That story got clicked on 400,000 times with, you know, and they were on the Today Show and everything else. This one in 48 hours is up to 900,000 clicks. Wow. And someone set up a, uh, two days ago, someone set up a, what you call a GoFundMe page. F-U-N-D, GoFundMe. Uh, it's like it's a website for people to make donations. And I guess someone was moved by the story, set up the site, and in 48 hours, $10,000 uh, had been raised for him. So uh, it's, it's been neat, you know, to see kind of how powerful, you know, uh, you know, things can be when you put them out there in the media. <laughs> and this is one of those situations where, you know, it's really going to end up helping someone. So it's, it's been a, a kind of an uplifting deal. You did an awesome job with it, man. It's not, you know, listen, sometimes you, you, you find a great story, but then you have to tell it the right way. And, and that, that, you know, not everybody always does that. But you, you did a tremendous job with it. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I appreciate you talking to me about it. And, and I'm sure, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> the, the, I, I go to call him Kamala. It sounds silly. Um, his real name's James Harris. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you wonder, they build him as this uh, Ugandan headhunter right. cannibal, you know, from from Uganda. And he's like, I've never been to Uganda, you know, and he, he talks <laughs> in this real southern drawl, you know, just kind of like, you know, he, he grew up, uh, 
you know, driving trucks, right. uh, pick cotton for a living with his with his mom, and just the nicest, friendliest guy you'll ever meet. So yeah, his name is James Harris. Right. He grew up in Senatobia, Mississippi, or in in, in Coldwater, those kind of both of those areas, and uh, that's where he, you know, even after all the the fame and fame that he, that he achieved, that's that's always been his home, and he's he's never wavered from that. It, it is crazy on some level. Like you 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 like listen, you're you've grown up, you've understood that you know wrestling is what it is, and and that Kamala isn't Kamala. He's James Harris. But like, still, the child in you must be sitting there going, "I can, I would have never envisioned a scenario where I would be w- sitting having a conversation with Kamala and watching him cry." I mean, it must still be sort of like a whole, oh my god, a, a weird deal, right? I mean, it was the hardest thing for me not to like choke up. Right. You know what I mean? Because I mean, it was like cause it was just genuine emotion from him. You know, and it, you know, there was a few times during the interview I almost felt like he was shooting a promo. You know, like during right. wrestling. You know, and he was. But when when that happened, when he was talking about coming home the day after his legs had been amputated and just talking about looking down and nothing being there and what are people going to think of me? I'm not normal anymore. And he just lost it. And I was just like, oh, God, Jason, hold it together. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, but it was neat for me, too, because you know how people always ask you, oh, Gary, what was it like to meet Coach K? Right. Oh, my gosh. You interviewed you interviewed Julie Loco for what kind of guy? And you're just thinking, man, there's normal people. But so I, you know, you just don't get all worked up as a journalist to meet famous people. But when I met these wrestlers <laughs> who, like, I grew up like idolizing, I was right. kind of nervous. I was like, man, I'm excited. I'm going to meet Kamala, and I'm on the phone with Jerry Lawler. You know what I mean? And you know that was that was cool to me. Coco Beware is coming over to do an interview. You know, I was like, that was one of the more exciting uh, kind of moments of my career which a lot of people wouldn't understand but uh, no it pretty cool it, but it, it makes complete sense to me because i grew up on local wrestling the same way you did like i lived in the memphis mm-hmm. area so like you know jerry lawler and bill dundee and the fabulous ones and the moon dogs and kamala and yeah. like all those guys like they were you know there was a place called the mid-south coliseum at the fairgrounds right by the liberty bowl and mm-hmm. Every Monday night, it was Monday night wrestling. They'd have a Saturday morning television show that was, I think, 90 minutes, and then a Monday night wrestling. And they would fill that thing up, 9,000 people every Monday night for a regionalized wrestling show. And it was, uh, I mean, that is my childhood. And anybody who sort of is is our age and grew up in one of those markets that really, really embraced um, a wrestling. You know, I was like, I was a part, not a part of, but like, Witness the whole Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler thing, like all that stuff. Oh, wow. Th- those are my childhood memories. So um, I totally get well, why. You know, the, yeah. The, sorry. No. The, but the Mid South Coliseum is where Kamala was discovered and, yep. and, and, the, and the gimmick was born. I mean, he came in there one night. He'd been wrestling overseas as Sugar Bear Harris, you know, wasn't making much money, didn't, wasn't a very good wrestler, to tell you the truth, in the ring as far as technical wrestling. And he went over, he, he had come back to town, you know, just what's next for me. And he went over there to see a buddy. That was wrestling, and he walks in there, and Jerry, Jerry Lawler walks by him, which is 1982, and he goes, "Man, he goes, <laughs> uh, look at you, look at you." And Kamala was like, "Yeah." He, he goes, "How you doing?" He goes, "Hey, you looking for work?" And he's like, "Sure." And he goes, Jerry Lawler says, "Hey, go home right now. Don't let anyone see you, and meet me in two days at, at the home of uh, uh, Jerry Jarrett, right. uh, who was also one of the promoters." And, and so Kamala's like, "All right." So he goes out there, and he goes, "We've come up with a gimmick for you." You know, we're going to make you this, this African headhunter from from uh, Uganda. We're going to paint your face up or whatever. So they put him in costume right there. They painted his face. They took him out in Jerry Jarrett's backyard. They put some dry ice in a pond. <laughs> so smoke was rising from it. There was a bunch of bushes, and Kamala comes out of the bushes. And, you know, they cut some voiceover promo, and they play it on TV for the next two days, and they say Monday night, the Ugandan headhunter versus <laughs> Jerry Lawler. 
and the place was sold out, and he said that was the birth of Kamala. Oh, right it's, there, it's, so. it's, so, it's so good. Like I, and I can still remember that promo video. Like I can close my eyes and see it because I, I saw it so often yeah. in, in my childhood. Well, listen. In the video, yeah. 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 No. In the video that uh, accompanies the story, uh, there's a clip of it. Uh, that there were, uh, yeah, five or ten seconds was ten. And I get a promotional video, and it's in there, so it'll bring back memories. If anybody hasn't read the story yet, go check it out over at the Bleacher Report, or just find it on uh, Jason's uh, Twitter page, which is at Jason King TBR. Is that right? At Jason King Br. And there's a page. A lot of people ask about how to, you know, how to help him, and it's GoFundMe.com backslash Kamala. Okay, well, I've kept everybody here long enough. As always, I appreciate you guys being here at CBSSports.com. I appreciate Jason King from the Bleacher Report being here today. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the uh, latest episode. And uh, we will be back on Monday. I'll have Matt Norlander, Sam Bassini with me. Uh, we'll look back at the weekend, look ahead, talk about whatever. Take care.